This is Laura Deirdre with the Becker's Healthcare Podcast. I'm thrilled today to be joined by Dr. Norman Chenvin, founding CEO of Austin Regional Clinic in Austin, Texas. He is also the vice chairman of the Council of Accountable Physician Practices, which is a coalition of around 30 large integrated physician practices from across the U.S. Dr. Chenvin, it's a pleasure to have you on the podcast today. Thank you. I'm very happy to be here. Before we jump into the questions, could you tell us a little bit more about yourself and your background? I'm a family practitioner by training. Uh, Forty years ago, I took a leap into the unknown and began developing a multi-specialty medical group for Austin, Texas. Early on in that process, uh, I did some contracting directly with health plans where we changed the model of payment for care, where we, where we received a capitation or a, a bulk payment for seeing patients and where we were rewarded for high quality of care. We measured care uh, and rewarded for patient satisfaction. That moved me in a direction of really being focused on an evolving improvement in the way healthcare is organized in the United States. Um, With that interest, I was fortunate to join with a number of large medical groups across the country, Austin Regional Clinic, uh, in collaboration with those medical groups, developed the Council of Accountable Physician Practices. All of those groups are are very much uh, focused on trying to improve the quality of care, uh, to improve the level of coordination as care is delivered, and to use metrics, use measurements and analytics to prove that care is getting better to identify where improvements are needed. Our medical group has grown over the many past decades, and we're now 350 physicians taking care of close to a half a million patients in Austin, Texas. Uh, it has been a journey, and uh, it's, it's been uh, very re- rewarding as I think we've improved the uh, quality of care that we deliver, and therefore have improved the lives of many of our patients. That's a really impressive growth on your end in terms of growing the practice. Um, And I'm wondering, you know, obviously the past year has been challenging for physician practices across the U.S. due to the COVID-19 pandemic. What are the key factors for physician practices to be able to maintain financial stability today? Well, COVID was clearly a challenge for the world, our country, and certainly medical practices. Uh, What was fascinating to me about COVID is is the healthcare in the United States and probably everywhere has has not been challenged like this in in this manner. This is an unusual disease. It's still not well understood. And the impact it had on our practice was extremely dramatic. In mid-March, we went from a very, very busy in-office practice to almost no patients coming in, and we had to convert from a very small telemedicine practice uh, to nearly 70% of our visits being uh, virtual. Uh, That required a lot of technology, and it required a lot of retraining, and it required um, skills of our physicians and staff that had to be developed on the run. The Things that you can do over telemedicine are actually remarkable, and I don't believe that anybody in healthcare 
fully understood the, the power of telemedicine, how convenient it can be and how effective it can be. But you still need to be able to lay hands on patients from time to time and you have to know when when is that time. So we elected as a group, our, our entire group spent a, a couple of days um, mulling this over, figuring out what we needed to do. And we elected to develop a a path A and a path B for patients. So patients that clearly needed to be seen, had no symptoms or suggestion or exposure to COVID, would come into one side of the clinic, patients where there was the potential that there was a COVID infection, we'd go on the other side of the clinic. Uh, we actually were, were able to separate those patients, give security to our patients that they would not be exposed unnecessarily. And uh, for that 30% of visits that, that happened in person, we were able to redesign our, our system. That's fascinating to hear how, you know, you made changes to adapt to COVID-19 and make sure you were able to keep the practice up and running for the patients who needed to come in and, and see their physicians in person. Now, I understand that the Council of Accountable Physician Practices has started listening sessions with the National Alliance of Healthcare Purchaser Coalitions. Could you talk a little bit about the significance of those listening sessions and some of the trends that you're seeing in terms of the transition from fee-for-service to value-based care? Yeah, so this, this is something that's been in evolution for a number of years. We've talked about it and then had the opportunity to collaborate with the National Alliance. Um, we have common pain points with with the people who pay for healthcare, with the, with the many large and medium-sized companies that are self-insured. Um, the the fee-for-service reimbursement system is not ideal from pr- the perspective of either the physicians or the payers, in that the the financing of healthcare really needs to be more um, coordinated and focused on preventive medicine rather than reactive and focused on dealing with emergencies as they come up. So uh, we have common aspirations. There there was real opportunity for innovation and collaboration, but we weren't seeing that evolve where we couldn't speak directly to each other. Uh, Typically, employers work through their health plans and consultant uh, brokers and physician organizations negotiate with health plans. But there wasn't that opportunity to sit down and be candid and just say, what are the problems here? What what are you seeing that we do that could be improved? Um, How do we feel that the system could be reorganized? And what we found was there was was a a lot of consensus. Um, Employers want to see greater use of primary care. They want to see their their employees and their dependents, the employees' dependents, working with primary care physicians so that care can be coordinated. Uh, They wanted to find ways that primary care could integrate with behavioral health providers because a good deal of what goes on in healthcare is related to behavioral health issues and behavioral health has become difficult for the average employee to obtain. Uh, the thought of using alternative payment methods where at least primary care would be pre-funded so that physicians were not worried about 
seeing patients and doing things to patients in order to get reimbursed, but rather organizing and managing the care and encouraging preventive care. Um, you can do that when there's a prepayment arrangement. The adoption of telehealth up until COVID hit, reimbursement for telehealth visits was, uh, you know, frankly pitiful and, and really not uh, sustainable from a physician's perspective. During this past year, telehealth reimbursement mechanisms and, and the technology and techniques of using it have evolved to the point where it's, it's really much more convenient for the patient and the physician for a significant uh, number of conditions. And then lastly, uh, with prepayment mechanisms and with value-based uh, contracts, the provider organization like ours is encouraged to identify patients who are not doing well, reach out to them, provide them with additional assistance that may not be the traditional healthcare, but might simply be a nurse navigator or a counselor in order to keep those patients focused on their care, assist them with whatever their needs are, whether it's behavioral health or weight loss or, or just obtaining their medications and staying on track with their medications. So all of that was, was interesting to us because it confirmed what we believe is needed and it, it confirmed that there needs to be some evolution in terms of how healthcare payment is organized and how healthcare delivery is organized. Absolutely. That's fascinating to hear in terms of just the need and the desire for more of the coordination on the primary care side, as well as the behavior health and really thinking about how all that could be wrapped up into the value-based care going forward. Now, in light of some of these discussions and some of the other trends that are have been coming down the pipe for a while now uh, for physician practices, what types of investments should they make in order to adjust to the new normal? Yeah, I, I don't know that there is any normal, but there is a lot of new. Uh, I think that it's quite important to, to invest very heavily in electronic medical record systems that are highly functional. And that's extremely expensive. Um, but the, the returns on that investment over time are great. Our, our system that we have been working with for approximately 10 years now allows patients to query the doctors and nurses virtually. It allows patients to self-appoint, which saves a lot of time on the telephone. It allows us to send the patients messages in terms of next visits uh, to, to actually um, provide them with a summary of each visit that they've, they've had and, and also gives them access to their lab work and, and their diagnoses and records. So what, what it does is it brings the doctor and patient into alignment in terms of the information and, and knowledge and planning for the patient's care. In addition to that, a, a good electronic record really allows us to do some analytics so that we can look at all of our diabetics and see how well we're doing, for instance, in, in doing retinal screening Diabetics are at high risk of losing um, portions of their sight because of retinal vascular damage. And diabetics should be, but aren't often screened for those problems. We have brought in-house 
um, actual cameras, retinal cameras, even though we're not ophthalmologists, mostly primary care docs, we've been able to put in that technology, identify patients early on, and get them to an ophthalmologist. So that's another kind of technology. There's a need, if you're really providing uh, 24-7 healthcare, to have on-call physicians and, and have uh, the ability to respond to problems. Problems don't happen just uh, from eight to five on weekdays. And, and so in a larger group with a prepayment mechanism, we can, we are literally open 365 days a year. Uh, and then in the evenings and um, on holidays, we have nurse navigators who are able to deal with patient problems, direct them, or bring in a physician to help solve the problem. Got it. That makes a lot of sense. Thank you so much for going through that with us. It sounds like having that reliable EHR and ability to get the analytics and in, in, uh, align with patients is really, really helpful. And then also on the operational side, figuring out how to make sure physicians are accessible at, really at any time of the day is, is a, an important aspect of practices setting themselves up for success in the future. My final question is, are there any other steps that these practices should take um, as they look past uh, COVID-19, um, think about what financial stability might look like going forward? Uh, I, I think that what we've seen is, is organizations like ours who do have these value-based contracts, who do have some alternative payment methodologies, who do get rewarded for the quality of care that we deliver, um, have security that other practices have not had when, when COVID hit, when visits dropped off or people stopped coming to, to the physician, physician's office, uh, we still had a, a flow of funds because it was part of the arrangement, part of the, the contract. And we were able to take those revenues and turn them into technology, uh, allow us to do outreach it continued the relationship. It was a live relationship. Uh, it, it didn't just, it wasn't all about you have to come into the office and, and then I can render a charge. So I do think that healthcare will continue to evolve in this direction. Um, I'm hoping we're never going to have to deal with another COVID like event, or at least we'll be much better prepared as a nation in the future. Um, but smoothing out the way funds flow into the healthcare system, rewarding the healthcare system for keeping people well and out of the office and out of the hospital will inevitably uh, reduce the cost of care. And that's, that's one of the, um, the interesting factoids. It's not providing a lot of healthcare, it's providing preventive healthcare, counseling, guidance uh, that, that reduces the cost of care. And if you have a patient with heart disease, if you can provide a lot of preventive care, if you can provide support when they're not in the office and not in the hospital, and that can be done. That's, that's another technology factor. You can provide now technology within the house so that a patient can be monitored on an ongoing basis for problems like diabetes or problems like uh, congestive heart failure. And, and you get ahead of the disease. You, you know when to intervene. Uh, that benefits everyone. Dr. Chenven, thank you so much for this fascinating discussion today. I've really appreciated having you on the podcast, and I look forward to connecting with you again in the future. Well, thank you so much, Laura. This was very worthwhile. I enjoyed speaking with you.